My name is Tanisha Quinlan and I'm the CEO of the Fremantle Chamber of Commerce. If you haven't joined us before, we have certainly covered some intriguing topics from getting your products to international markets, how to create unique experiences relevant for the business you're actually in, and even how to navigate tight cash flow in a seasonal business across these challenging economic times. And as always, you can catch these and future monthly chats on your favourite podcast station under our Chamber channel, Set the Month in Motion. There was some destination perceptions research done by Tourism WA through Kantar Public, which was previously TNS. They conducted a series of market research projects with domestic consumers to understand the appeal of key destinations in Western Australia and how visitation could be increased. I found some of this research really, really interesting. It was brought up at one of our tourism committee meetings by a tourism committee member um, not long ago. And one of the things they discovered was that a destination exists along a spectrum of firstly general appeal, i.e. just wandering about and discovering, to specialist sources of appeal, particularly niche offerings such as marine science, wine, sport, etc. And then on the second level, motivation, so from those that were intrinsic to the destination to more external factors such as specific events. One of the most interesting parts of the research was the three weighted factors as to whether a destination was worth it. These three factors were density, a sufficient depth or number of experiences to keep people in a space or keep them coming back. Diversity, the number of diverse experiences that appeal to different audiences. And uniqueness, the hook or the exclusivity of the experience being offered. It was the latter, the hook, that proved the most powerful driver of visitation. And it's really interesting when you think about some of the other podcasts we've discussed in recent times, particularly our Unique Experiences one, where Al Taylor from Freo Social really hit home that message of to know what business you're really, really in and to focus on that point and actually create a unique hook from that. And our first panel speaker certainly knows something about unique hooks. <laughs> Paula Nelson is a 2019 Telstra Businesswoman of the Year for the public sector and an amazing local leader in the development of attraction space. Paula started her journey in building tourist attractions as the general manager Exmouth Cape Tourist Village in the mid-90s and since then she has been regional tourism development manager for the Gascoigne, a niche product coordinator for Tourism WA and responsible for the business services for the State Heritage Office. Her greatest legacy though is the life, vitality and fun she has brought to Fremantle Prison as Director of Western Australia's only built World Heritage Attraction through commercially successful, awesome visitor experiences. Paula, we're so grateful and honoured to have you here today. You seem to have taken out more state and national tourism awards for your work at the prison across your decade or so with them than inmates, I think. What would you attribute as your top five essential ingredients to creating great attractions? So at Fremantle Prison we are very lucky because intrinsic to the actual building and the fabric of the building is its fantastic story and its uniqueness. So it's something that we can almost take for granted because there is nothing like Fremantle Prison in Australia, in the world, um, in Western Australia. We are Perth's only built world heritage or Perth's only world heritage place and Western Australia's only built world heritage place. So um, that in itself is really important. We have a lot of people in the world who are naturally aligned to the convict story or have an interest in crime. So there's a lot of ways we can target different markets. So 
that's a given, that's fantastic. But with any attraction, any destination, any product where you want people to come and come again, you need to have excellence at every single touch point that they come across. So at Fremantle Prison, we do strive for that. We are obviously challenged in resourcing, but it's something that we need to make people feel special from the moment they walk in. And it is from signage to footpaths to not just the tour or what you're selling generally in your brochure, but every single element from the booking experience, the website experience, from how someone looks at them across the counter. So if I was going to capture that into what does that look like, it looks like my staff. So the staff at Fremantle Prison are absolutely dedicated to the site and they're dedicated to our customers, telling the stories and make, making sure people not just have a great time but really understand and take something away about what Fremantle Prison actually means to our state and the history of the world. Um, that's not five, that's only two. I'm, I've got to put my governance hat on because any any good destination, any good attraction, any good business has to have good governance and that goes through your budget management, your resource management, obviously asset management, built asset management is very big for Fremantle Prison. Um, <clears throat> so uh, making sure you manage your risks and of course we're in a bit of a risky environment at the moment so having a look at how, how can we mitigate those risks, how do we look after our people, um, how to make sure we're sustainable, we're looking after the environment and all of those other good business aspects that should be really universal to any business. But in tourism, you're a lot more visible, you're visible to your community, especially running a public asset and you're visible to your customers. So running a good ship um, means you're delivering excellence in your product and avoiding problems along the way. I think it's such an interesting point that you make too, Paula, that I'm really keen to explore as we go through because I think a lot of people think tourism, they think events, they think almost the, the glamour side of the business, but they're hard businesses and they're hard businesses to get right and without that really strong financial and governance and, and risk platform, um, the rest, you can have all the whistles and bells you like, but it's not going to work. And I also think your point about staff and that experience and the human side of the experience we offer is just so important to all business, really, but particularly to businesses that are so public facing. Our next panel member is Heather Jackson. Heather's experience includes economic and business development, both in the private and not-for-profit sectors across industries such as travel, retail, luxury fashion and visitor attractions in Australia and overseas in the UK and Singapore. Now Perth-based, Heather has recently undertaken consultancy commissions for Fremantle Markets, author and artist and illustrator Wendy Binks, along with a short contract for Rottnest Island uh, Authority to develop new and immersive visitor experiences and services. Paula, in, uh, Heather in particular has been involved um, overseas in Edinburgh at the Royal Botanical Gardens and a number of really high profile um, visitor attractions across the globe. Heather, a city like Fremantle can be very seasonally driven. Um, how do we attract locals and visitors at traditionally quiet periods of the tourism calendar, or in our case in Fremantle, midweek? Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. Um, I guess my experience, probably the most valid experience, would be at the Botanics in Edinburgh, um, because like Fremantle, um, in the summertime, there's loads of people around, international, locals, you know, there's a full mix going. 
But come um, the shoulder periods and then into winter, it's quite a different story. And yes, I have seen midweek here. Uh, it's been very interesting working for Rottnest Authority in that I've been in Fremantle every day and I've seen the cruise ships particularly um, turn up almost unannounced, many of them. And I'm thinking, what are they going to do? <laughs> Um, because when the markets aren't open, it, is, it can be quite quiet in Fremantle and it's difficult to get that really sort of immersive experience when uh, the majority of the stores are, are closed or on you know, shorter, shorter term hours. Um, certainly it was a huge problem in Edinburgh and we had to respond to a half million pound cut to our grant and aid, which of course really affects your resources. Um, and it was coming up with what could we do with our amazing assets that we had, some of them going back to 1670, so that you know the infrastructure and the built assets were really important. But it was how could we get locals to come in the winter time or in the shoulder periods so that you weren't just purely reliant on all of your business sitting in a handful of months in, in the middle of the year, in the peak of summer. So um, we knew that we didn't feel particularly accessible um, uh, to locals. A lot of people thought, oh, they're very well funded, you don't really need anything, it's a free attraction, we can take it for granted, it's always there and it's always on the doorstep. And conversely to that, a lot of um, people had said to us, we don't do kind of really anything that we would like. Right, okay. <laughs> so you, you immediately know you've got a, a big gap between your collections and what you're offering as a visitor attraction. Very, very attractive to international tourists who would always come and say, you're free? You know, they just couldn't believe it. Um, and so it was, what could we do? How could we get people to come in and to spend? That was another big challenge because they were always used to coming and it was, everything was free. So how could we come in and get them to have a primary spend to start with and then a secondary spend on the back of that? And so we decided to try um, a botanic, it's an illuminated light trail through the garden at night in winter in Scotland. <laughs> and most people said, you are crazy. <laughs> um, but you know, the, there seemed to be the demand for it. Other people were doing it. I'd just come back from the first illuminated night, uh, uh, light trail at Kew Gardens and was completely blown away about how magnificent it was. Um, you know, we've got a similar collection. Um, why couldn't we succeed? <laughs> I suppose if maybe I'd known what I'd known at the beginning, I might not have tried <laughs> um, because there was a lot of risk involved. Um, how do we get people in? If we're going to charge a ticket price, what should we charge? You know, is there going to be secondary spend? What would local people like? You know, they don't want to come and have a sit-down dinner. Could we do mulled wine? Could we do pop-ups? Could we do toasted marshmallows, which were amazing? Um, you know, could we do lots of things that wouldn't cost a lot of money, but would make for a really immersive experience? Um, so we we tried it, and we had to do we had a three week run, and uh, we needed fifteen thousand visitors in three weeks to break even, because I'd had to borrow some money that I had to pay back, otherwise it would be career limiting, <laughs> um, and so we got 
just over 23,000 visitors, pretty well all of them locals who came in. And what we found on the back of that was they came back during the day. They'd come to, you know, really fun, exciting, illuminated, seeing the collection, if you like, in a very, very different light. Um, and they came back. Our visitor numbers for November and December Midwinter, not a lot of horticulture going on in Scotland at that time of the year, but they came back because they really enjoyed the experience. And our visitor numbers for November and December that year, some of them almost increased by 100%. So it was getting that audience back in, re-engaging with the collection, re-engaging with all the facilities. We had a beautiful new visitor centre, we really needed to make that work much, much harder. Um, and so it was a huge success. And we went on to then just refine that as the, the years went on. So it is possible. <laughs> I love that example, Heather. I think so often in this space, we try and make things, I think, a lot more complicated than they need to be. And I think we've seen that with the dinosaurs here in Fremantle over January um, and even Highway to Hell on the weekend. You know, such a risky and difficult concept, but it's very base level. It spoke to, let's get out of the house, let's find something that we all love, something that w is approachable, something that speaks to a number of different individuals across diverse audiences and just gather them in a space and make sure they have a lovely time. But I can only imagine the risk and that looking at that number and hoping people show up is one of the most challenging parts of anyone, I think, who works in attractions or retail or spaces. I think, you know, even here at the Chamber, you know, we, we've taken a few risks in the last year and you're almost holding your breath, just hoping that people buy the tickets <laughs> and come along. And culturally, I think we still have a long way to go to show people that there is a lot more outside their doorstep their Netflix and Uber Eats and a nice couch and um, we have to give them a reason to actually get there and I think that example is so good and so relevant um, to Fremantle so thank you for that. Speaking of hearts, uh, our next uh, speaker on our panel is Natasha Atkinson, not only a board member here at Fremantle, but CEO of what we like to call the heart of Fremantle, our Fremantle markets. Um, Natasha's career and accomplishments within the Australian and hospitality, tourism and retail industries over the last two decades has established her as an influential and productive leader. Natasha was recently awarded a Business 40 Under 40 award in recognition of her contribution to West Australian business. Originally a farm girl from Meriden, at the age of 24, she started her own business, the first independent cafe in the Mandurah Ocean Marina. Following a career stint with the Adelaide Central Markets, Natasha returned to Perth. She was instrumental in the establishment of the first farmer's market in Perth, the infamous Mount Claremont Farmer's Market that so many others have, have moulded uh, since then. She became the model for farmer's markets in the region and the incubator for a flourishing weekend institution throughout Perth. Currently the CEO of the Fremantle Markets, Natasha has led this iconic tourist site into a thriving business, giving it a complete operational overhaul. With a renewed focus on prioritising high quality, locally sourced goods and services, the market has experienced a renaissance during tough economic times, culminating in winning the 2013 14 and 15 Fremantle Business Tourism Awards for Tourism Excellence and being honoured as the 2017 Hall of Fame recipient. Natasha, you have created a space that 
Heather described in some ways that both locals flock to on a weekend as well as visitors have on their stop Fremantle itineraries. I don't think any visitor comes to Fremantle without stopping off at the markets. How do you get that balance right between catering for locals and tourists? Look, it's one we struggle with. Um, for locals, it is about events that, like, like Heather said, you know, we're open all year round. So we struggle with, well, the farmers market's only open on a Saturday morning. You know, scarcity creates demand. So they'll flock there because you can only go there for four hours. Whereas with us, we're open all weekend. Oh, there's no hurry. You know, we can go next weekend. So we struggle with finding a way to make sure locals need to come and creating that scarcity. So we are planning, look, we've got a Buskers Festival coming up. That'll be on the 21st and 22nd of March. So we've teamed up with Freo Social. So we think collaborating with other businesses to form something that people can't get all the time but also still building on what is important about Fremantle which is the buskers and that atmosphere and then not also you know sort of um, conflicting with other businesses we don't think that we need to do something that someone else in Fremantle is already doing well because we found in the past that people in Fremantle would often think oh we need to activate an area let's do a market and that sort of activates an area for a weekend but also then damages the other businesses on that weekend and so there's no real gain to anyone in Fremantle so I think it's best for us to always look around and think what what can we do that adds value to Fremantle and that's why we found the buskers so and also with say like the dinosaurs that we teamed up with all the um, other businesses in Fremantle we think the dinosaurs it's something that added value um, families, it was family friendly. We think free events brings the locals in. For tourists, they're going to come because we are a historic building. It was built in 1897 and um, Fremantle's an iconic place as well. I think that they'll come to enjoy the atmosphere, our buskers, there's lots to enjoy as a tourist. A lot, even though people don't think there's a lot of handmade things inside the Fremantle markets, there actually is. When you break it down, I think people can get very busy in the Fremantle markets and people just sort of follow one another through. But tourists do spend the time and sort of walk from one to one and they'll actually talk to traders and that's when they find out how much is actually locally made or locally designed. Um, so we think yeah, for, lo for tourists it will be just about the building on the, the experience and an atmosphere but for locals it'll be always about events. I think um, your point too about... Um, creating and getting in people's minds that scarcity and a need to come. I know um, with a, a previous business we had, you know, we're on CNN in New York, we're in BBC, where the reason Perth's now cool, the number of people would come up to me and go, oh, just got to come. It's like, well, come, you know, <laughs> it's not rocket science. We're, we're not just here for, a, you know, a show and some media publicity. Businesses only work if people are actually in them. And I think, especially for the markets, you know, you see people coming every Sunday. They know they get their fruit and veg. They have a couple of Sundays where they go to the football and they get out of the habit of coming. And before you know it, they're not coming back. And so making sure that you've always got that reason for people to come back and remind them, oh, that's right, I did have a great experience at the markets or I can get my local fruit and veg there. And um, so important to that and and I think events do certainly activate spaces there's also a lot on now in that event space and in that experience space and I think just about everyone is offering a, a meet the makers or a collective experience and how do you maintain the cut through in that environment I'll open this up to the panel if anyone wants to how do you get 
events that cut through aren't, I guess, just one event after another, but still keep that attraction and people coming back? I know I may be asking, you know, the ultimate question here, <laughs> but um, did anyone want to make a start on that one? I guess it's really looking at the core of the attraction and looking at what resources you have that are maybe quite underexposed. Um, not long after I joined the Botanics again, um, I was looking for unique partnerships, something quite different, something that you maybe wouldn't expect to find at the Botanic Garden. And um, I, I came across, or I think I was actually approached by the um, Mark Shand, who was a uh, the founder of the elephant family, um, really um, conservation uh, for Indian elephants particularly. And uh, he had this fantastical idea of putting 130 sculptures, huge sculptures, hand-painted sculptures throughout the garden. And he wanted to do it in August. And of course, that's festival month when the city is just I mean, it's wall-to-wall -wall events, very, very competitive space. And I was like, okay, well, this could be quite interesting because if we can get people just one mile down from the city centre, we'll have done a really good job. And uh, it was amazing. We had, again, families, local families particularly, who didn't particularly want to go up to the heart of the city because it was so busy. Um, but wanted somewhere, the weather was fine, you know, there was, no, there was no problems that way. And they wanted somewhere where they could relax in a sort of much more laid-back environment. And uh, so we put the sculptures out, uh, displayed them beautifully, and um, we got over 100,000 visitors that month, and that was the highest visitation we had ever had since records began. So I think it is looking for these really unique partnerships with other people around and, and again, creating something that feels multi-generational. Um, I, think, I think that's very much to Natasha's point. Finding something that, you know, I think you should never underestimate the sort of pester power of Generation Alpha or the spending power of grandparents. So I think going from you know, the very young ones right through, uh, it's finding something or an event, or something to do that all the family can get involved with, and it's not too segmented. Well, I just think it's about the events that I think free events will attract. Um, but say the dinosaurs, I think Fremantle's got the foundations. We've got things that no one else can replicate. Prison, Fishing Boat Harbour, the market, roundhouse, museums. You know, there's no one else around with what we've got. So then when you add something onto that, be it, let's say, that for the month it becomes Lego City or it becomes, you know, street performance like it does for Street Arts Festival and stuff. We add another layer and it's unique and no one else has got that. Then I think that's when you hit the sweet point. But when you start adding things like another meet the maker or another market, it just, it's, you're not going to, you'll get a few people, but you're not going to get the press, you're not going to get the excitement that people are looking for. I just think you've just really got to look outside the box. Don't follow, lead. I was just going to add that from an attraction perspective, it is interesting to see the impact of different events that are put on in the state and how 
that will either draw the community out of their houses and off their couches or it can draw people from over states and internationally and and I go to the difference between the soccer matches that were held here last year and the AFL matches and we certainly see a much bigger impact from the soccer matches because AFL is something that people can consume anywhere in the country but the soccer matches that they put on were unique and just to Perth and we really noticed the impact of that so it really is having those unique events and of course in Fremantle making sure those events reinforce that this is Fremantle message, that it is different and it is fun and doing different and fun things comes with risk. What I find now, people's appetites are less, going back sort of 30 years ago, the habit in our culture was to, oh we know that restaurant, we'll go to that restaurant every Friday night. People don't work like that now, they want something different. Places, attractions, events need to constantly reinvent themselves. Completely agree and I think there's so many themes that just came through that conversation that I'd love to touch on in a little bit more detail um, as we go through and I'll hand over to the floor in a minute but the um, a couple of things, one is the physical space and I think we've talked about not only Fremantle having that physical space but in every one of your examples there's something about the space that is unique and different and historic and with soul that brings people into that and so creating that space if you haven't already got it I think is really really important. Um, and the second point I think about keeping your eyes in is open to what else is happening. So with the soccer as an example or with the dinosaurs that you can not only create your own hooks but you can use the hooks that are actually present within that space to help build and create and, and once people are out they're out so you know being able to pull them in um, in those periods of time is really really interesting. Did we have any questions from the floor? Mark? Um, so part of the question has been answered already but I think it's probably worth revisiting so um, I was curious about Fremantle having a fantastic art resource and um, whether that can be tapped into. You know, we have a lot of, um, when I say arts, there's a huge variety of creative activities in Fremantle. So we are, cre we are exploring like unique experiences and whether um, the, the elephant example from Edinburgh is an example, but whether, you know, there's experience on similar things that are Fremantle based. Do you want to make a start? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I absolutely agree with this, that there should be. I always think that the Fremantle Circus School, the WA Circus School, I think Fremantle could tap into that, that they could be, you know, we just set up little areas around the city that they could just practice on during the day that, you know, if they're practicing their twirling, their ribbon twirling, why can't they practice twirling on the street or in a park or visually around town. I think it's Seattle where you walk around the streets and all the buskers are on the corners of the streets in Seattle. And I think what's unique to Fremantle is performers. Why are they not everywhere? Um, our, I'm just going to put in a little line for the Fremantle Business Awards coming up in June and we've picked the theme this year on Feast of the Diversity and Talent in Frio and exactly that, we should be celebrating all of that and I can't wait to see those circus performers coming from the ceiling down and bringing life and vitality and knowing again who you are and, and being really authentic in that. And I think Fremantle has been the home of live music for such a long time. It's been the home of some really eclectic, creative industries. That, that is something that's in our 
sort of lifeblood and something that makes a lot more sense for us to be promoting and is a lot more authentic when we see those. And and that applies to small businesses as well. You know, there's no point like the gorgeous Glen Cowan studio that's all about marine science and beautiful ocean pictures suddenly putting on a cities exhibition. It doesn't make a lot of sense. We need to build with those, but that base that we have. Um, I've just got one other question before we go back to the floor and that's about emotional connection because obviously some people have to feel really attached. If they're going to come back there has to be something that captures not just their vision in the space not just what they want to buy or what they want to do it needs to sort of I guess emotionally engage them Paula do you have any thoughts on that yeah I think um, to be honest emotionally engaged tourists are your better tourists um, they're not just jumping in for a quick selfie shot they're here they want to hear the story they want to explore they tend to spend more because they're exploring more and what's most important is these people, when they come here and make that connection, like going back 20 years ago, the big marketing tool was word of mouth. Word of mouth shone over and above all your paid advertising. Marketing now with word of mouth is on acid with social media. So if you can give the people a great experience and connect them to your place so they feel part of you, they're the ones who are going to promote you and that promotion is the most valuable marketing of all. I know a lot of people focus on marketing our state internationally and nationally but for me I always go back to the... There's five A's of marketing. Somehow I've managed to turn it into six. But, you know, your access, your attractions, your amenities, your accommodation, all of those elements of the industry. What I love about Fremantle is they all come together and they all tell stories. The Hougamont's got a story. The Esplanade's got a story. Our road had a story on the weekend. It was a highway to hell. It wasn't just a highway. So when you can turn every element of the experience into something that connects with the people and do it well, you've got people who will on-sell you through their Instagram, through their own promotions, and that is the most tangible, solid marketing you will ever get. I love that. It's such a... Um I guess a, a really strong reminder, again, that these events, attractions, like any other part of business, we have to get the call right and, again, find that human connection and find those stories and weave that narrative together in really interesting and creative ways. And, yep, I think that's a point for me to remember too. And just further to that, Fremantle has, like the prison, has a strategic advantage in being unique. Fremantle has that in so many different ways. And when you look at the areas we have with Fishing Boat Harbour, with the markets, with um, the, the prison area, uh, there's so many, and the port, there's so many different experiences. So if in Fremantle, through those experiences, we can't tell our stories and connect with the people, there's something really wrong. But I've got to say, I think we do it well, and I think the attractions certainly work together to make sure we don't overlap, to make sure we work together, that our attraction offering is more like a jigsaw that fits together for a really good promotion as opposed to an eclectic mix of just bits that come together. And that's where the dinosaurs was great too. We all got our part to pull in something together that was really different for us especially. Absolutely. Uh, I think um, even the smaller businesses that are make up Fremantle still make up part of that story as well. You know, our our unique retail offering is quite an interesting um, 
independent retail, retail that you can't find ever anywhere else. And as a community, I think our own individual roles and, and I'm looking over at our, our Fremantle maps and our experience Fremantle from the Inside Initiative was really about saying, as local businesses, what story do we tell about our own place? Because every time someone walks into a retail store, every time someone walks into a bar, it's an opportunity to not only attract them to your place, but to attract them to the other places around you and help tell that story. Any other questions from the floor? Mark's got another one. Excellent. Mark, you can come again. <laughs> I was curious as to um, what processes you might have in place in terms of collecting feedback. Obviously, you mentioned visitation numbers, and that's an obvious um, sort of uh, feedback in a way. But whether you have a structure, formal approach, to get a little bit more than that, like what they liked or disliked and um, whether you do that with a quantified um, approach? Measurement. Well, certainly at the prison with the people who do paid tours, we take information from them when they purchase their tours around their postcode so we know where they've come from. Uh, we also have a system where people can go on the iPad and say what tour they did, how they found it and answer a few questions about how they thought about the experience um, but we also obviously keep a really close eye on TripAdvisor and other media where people are out there speaking freely in the world. Um, I think if you are going to have a large event I think the it's really important not just monitoring all the social media uh, channels and and responding to those but um, if it's possible to do a, an after event survey even if it's you know a, a sizable uh, sample as well, um, because if you're going to repeat that or you want to do something quite similar, it's really really important to have those lessons learned, and the things that you know we would do in say year one would be very different to what we would do in years two, three, four, five, six, um, because I think you have to learn every time you do something, you have to test that with the public, find out what did they like, what could you do more of. What didn't they like? Very, very important to learn those lessons quickly. <laughs> it's very difficult with a with the market because of the six entrance and exits. There's no clear way of communicating with our customers, so we rely on monitoring social media for so TripAdvisor, Facebook reviews, and Google. Google My Business being probably our biggest, and then every five years doing a Patterson survey. So that's all that we can do we think unless you've got any suggestions. I think social media and reviews do provide us with a really unique experience. Um, you know, trolls aside, I think there's always some validity um, in the comments that are being made and I think it's important that we do use that as a resource. It's certainly a resource that didn't exist many, many years ago when we did have to survey everything and it was always post-survey. So that keeping track and keeping an eye on the external environment and also keeping an eye on other venues and other events that are doing interesting and good things too um, makes a big difference. Um, I guess the other point that I was going to make was that issue around forecasting because it is really tricky with events. As we said, you can have this great idea, you can take this risk. Somehow you need to know that it's going to work. Any ideas in mind? Is it just a suck it and see? Is it a review of what others have done? How do we get to a point where I guess when we're putting our money on the table that we have some guarantee that it may work?
Well, I think the first thing is there are definitely no guarantees. <laughs> and I think if you're going to do something quite sizable, if there's a lot of revenue at risk, um, you've got to have quite a few different income scenarios um, and make a very persuasive case to your board or whoever else is holding the purse strings because ultimately um, it's, it's also determining what level of risk um, and what appetite there is for risk within your industry or within your within your business, um, and a lot of people say, oh, "We should be doing that." You know, that's that's so easy. And you think, actually, there's a lot of risk attached to that. And I think, again, it does come down to whether or not you you're willing to take that risk. But I think, if you don't take the risk, the risk is that you'll never change, yeah. and that things will remain the same um, and so you know 10 years down the track you'll be getting the same questions well why aren't you trying that mm -hmm. so at some point you have to make a big leap into the dark and accept that risk but it has to be a very qualified <laughs> risk and I think that's that comes down to the income scenarios and working out where that break-even point is and then accepting well is that a step too far and for some organisations, it is. Absolutely. I'll get, go um, over to Natasha um, in just a sec. I was also just going to point um, that point that you made, Heather, about diversity of revenue, I think is so important. Um, you can't just rely on ticket revenue. You can't just rely on someone but paying for a meal. You need to have that diversity of revenue in anything um, that you do. And I think for all of our businesses, that's a really important point. I think the part that you make there, it's it's more of a risk not to take a risk now. Yeah, that is the key one. You are you should be looking to take a risk for us sort of every month, you know, if you want to stay relevant now. And um, I see that there's been a big shift to in the big events now that they're not charging or entry prices into events now is dropping, like, you know, Good Food and Wine Festival, those sorts of ones. So it's about for us is always free entry, you know, because our... Our objective from events is to get people spending more in our stalls. So we don't look to make any money off an event. We just look to put on a low-cost event that just we know appeals to our customer. And then, so we, we wouldn't look to spend any more than 10000 And that 10000 would be a lot for us to spend on an event. You know, if we could get away with it for five, that's us. So I'm not, I just think a lot of people think, oh, we're going to put on an event, we need a big budget and we need all this big stuff. It's not actually like that. You just need to have something really cool that people want. I, I think I might have mentioned this example before, but I often cite um, just over at Old Bridge Cellars what they've created on a Friday night you know, just a couple of wine, bottles of wine, a winemaker putting out a tasting, but they gather community and they have some great buns and bread and, you know, a few nice cheeses and they're getting, you know, masses of people into their store every Friday to the point that the store's almost at capacity. But their objective is that people take a bottle of wine home with them and knowing what you are actually trying to achieve. So build community, build loyalty to a store and make sure people go home with something that they're willing to pay for and knowing where your revenue is actually coming from is fa just fantastic. Thank you so much, panel. Uh, any other questions from the floor? No? 
Well, I think that pretty well sums up so much of what we wanted to cover. I, the collective experience of um, the three of our panel guests today is extraordinary and I know you are all willing to hopefully stay for a couple of minutes longer if people uh, wanted to ask a, another question and um, away from the mic. But on behalf of the Chamber and the City, thank you all so much for coming in, particularly those that popped in at late notice. Um, I really am very grateful for your thoughts and I think as we re-listen to this and digest it, there are just so many kernels of wisdom that we can all take and learn from. So thank you all very, very much.